Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. We are continuing in our little mini-series in Matthew chapter 24, uh, part of a larger series of a study of Matthew's gospel that we are calling Why It Matters, a look at the kingdom of God. But uh, for these past four weeks now, we've been looking at uh, this portion of scripture, and we're calling this kingdom when, because Jesus was asked the question, uh, what shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? That has been the question of the ages to know Uh, the things concerning the second coming of Jesus. And so Jesus gave a 95-verse answer to that question, and we have been going through and looking at it, and we will continue doing that um, tonight as well. And so if you could grab your Bible, open it to Matthew chapter 24. Uh, As we begin, I just want to share a story with you. Um, Something happened in my life about 10 years ago that, that drastically shifted the direction that I was on. Um, We were in a season of our lives where our uh, youngest of three at the time had just turned six years old. And if, listen, if you have young children at home, know this, that when the youngest hits six, things tend to get a little bit easier. We had gone from chaos, not, I wouldn't say to order, but maybe to uh, rhythm. Things were moving along. We were in our early 30s, and we were on kind of a trajectory. Things were happening. We were coming into our prime as a couple and as a family. And it was during that time that my wife came to me with news. And if you've ever gotten news, you know what I'm talking about. It was a drastic interruption in what I was thinking my 30s would look like. She was with child, and it changed things. It absolutely did. There was an overwhelming shock because I envisioned my 30s to be one way, and now I knew that they would be completely different. Now, that was a net joyful adjustment, and it wasn't the last surprise we would have. I am now, these years later, a happy father of five, and my youngest is six. And so I've got a projection for my 40s. We'll see how it goes. I've learned not to plan uh, quite so much what's going to happen in my life, because I have no idea what's going to happen in my life. But here's what I can tell you, is that at some point in your life, you are going to have some kind of unexpected interruption that is going to happen, that will shake you, that is going to change the plans that you have. It seems like right now, all of us are kind of living in the middle of the interruption that keeps on giving. It keeps going and going and going. Well, Jesus is answering a question about his second coming, and he has thus far spoken to two groups of people. He has spoken to the nations generically, and then last week we looked at Jesus' answer to Israel specifically. And so tonight, as we continue, Jesus is going to talk to a third group of uh, people, and we are going to see that there is a major surprise interruption in store for this specific group. And so if you would grab your Bible, Matthew chapter 24, we're picking up in verse 35, and let's read through the end of the chapter and hear what Jesus has to say, the end times, as it relates to the church. He says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman or the keeper of the house had known in what watch 
the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord has made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if, that servant, that evil servant, shall say in his heart, My Lord delays his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looks not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's just pray before we get into our message. Father, we ask you to please bless your word. We've opened our hearts. We're listening. And in these most interesting times where there's great expectation and hope, we pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit and give us great understanding tonight. We thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jesus begins this passage, this portion where he's talking to the church in verse 35 by telling us something amazing. He says that heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. And I believe that the reason why Jesus interjected this phrase here at this time is because what he's about to say is so amazing and so otherworldly and so beyond our comprehension that He wanted to remind us that it's God who's saying these things and it's the Bible that has recorded them because otherwise we probably wouldn't believe it. And then he begins talking to this group, this entity that's called the church. And I want you to understand before we get into this, the significance and the identity of the church and why that is so important. You have to understand that the church of Jesus Christ is not the same as the Jews or the Israel of God that was there in the Old Testament. They were under a different covenant and they had different roots than we do. And the church did not exist during Old Testament times. The church happened after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus foretold the church in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, when he said to Peter at Caesarea Philippi, he said that the gates of hell will not prevail against my church, but upon this rock, I will build my church. That was something that was to happen yet future. And the church did not exist while Jesus was physically present on earth during his first coming. So when was the church born? The church began on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's recorded in Acts chapter 2. And when the Holy Spirit came upon the 120 disciples in the upper room... And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And a sermon was preached and 3,000 people were added to the Lord. It was that day that the church began. Now, it's interesting to me to realize that the church started suddenly. It actually says that in Acts chapter 2, verse 2. It says, suddenly there was the sound of a mighty rushing wind and a great noise. And, And that's important because as the church started suddenly, the church will also end suddenly. And so this period of time that we are in right now is called the church age. Now, the church is different from Israel in another way. And that is that Israel was made up specifically and only of the descendants of Abraham. The church is made up of not just Jewish descendants, but of every people, tribe, tongue, and nation in the world. The Apostle Paul explains it in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, this way. He says... Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul adds in Galatians, he says, there's neither male nor female. And what that means is that it doesn't matter what your race is, what your gender is, it doesn't matter where or what time you're born in, you, if you accept Christ, you open your heart to him, you are a part of this entity that is called the church. 
different covenant. It's the new covenant. And so the church is important to understand. We are called in the New Testament the bride of Christ in numerous places. And that's an amazing thing to realize, the position that we will one day occupy in eternity. I mean, just to think about the ranks of angels and the ranks of principalities and powers. And you and I are destined, if we're believers in Christ, when we're united with him, to be in that place of being one with him in such the same way as the Bible describes the relationship between a man and his wife, saying that the two will become one. And just to meditate on that and think about what that means. It's a wonder that Satan hates us and is jealous of us because he knows what awaits us in the days that are to come. Now, this age that we are living in right now, that started on the day of Pentecost and continues even through right now, it is called the church age. It started suddenly, it has a beginning, and it will end suddenly, it has an ending. It is not an indefinite age, the church age will end. Now, last week we shared Romans chapter 11, verse 25, where the Apostle Paul was explaining to us how this whole time sequence works, with God working with Israel, then working with the church, and then he will again deal with Israel after the church age is complete, and he says this, Romans eleven twenty five, He says that I would not have you ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. He says that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. He's talking about the church age, and when it ends, God will then again open the eyes of Israel and he will deal with them for that final seven-year period of time. Now, let me pause here and say this. If you missed last week's teaching, please go back and listen to last week's teaching. It will help you understand with great clarity the sequence of events of how all things are going to unfold. And if that what I just shared is fuzzy at all, Go back and listen, and that will certainly clear it up, absolutely. But the church age begins, and the church age ends. Now, the reason that I make that distinction tonight and, and talk about what the church is as an entity is because that's who Jesus is talking to in the passage of Scripture that we read tonight. You say, well, how do we know that Jesus was talking to the church? I'll tell you how. The answer is in verse 36 of the passage. He says this. He says, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, not the angels of heaven, but my father only. Now listen, that can only apply to the church. That cannot apply to Israel or even to an informed unbeliever. And here's why. Because back in verse 15 of Matthew 24, Jesus told Israel, he didn't say to them that you won't know the day or the hour. To them, he said, when you see the abomination of desolation, then do this and know this. And he gave them specific instructions. And when you read Daniel chapter 12, it's the final chapter of Daniel, and it's the last sentence, literally the last two verses of Daniel. Daniel tells us that from that moment of the abomination of desolations, you can count 1,290 days until the second coming of Jesus Christ. Meaning that if you are part of Israel and you are here on earth when that event, the abomination of desolation happens, again, go back and listen to last week if you don't know what that is, you will know the day of the second coming because it is given to you in numbers. So Jesus is talking to a group of people that will not know the day and the hour of his appearance. And what he is saying to them is that there is going to be a surprise, sudden, unknown interruption that is going to happen that is going to be not only the ending of the church age, but boy, is it going to be a change of life for everyone that is a part of the church <laughs> uh, of anyone else. So what does Jesus mean? What is he talking about when he says the day and the hour? The day and the hour of what? He answers it in verse 37. He says, but as the days of Noah were, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So he's talking about the coming of the Son of Man, and he compares it to the days of Noah. Then he explains further, verse 38. For as in the days that were before the flood, 
They were, that is, human population, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Now, in Luke's gospel, he adds to that description. And he says this. He says that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the days that they entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Then verse 28 says, likewise also it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. And again, even thus shall it be in the day that the Son of Man is going to be revealed. What is Jesus describing? He is saying that there's going to be an event that happens where everything is life as usual, and then there is a sudden interruption, just like it was in the days of Noah. Marrying, eating, buying, selling, planting, reaping, life as usual. Now, that should tell us that the rapture is probably not going to happen during the corona shutdown because nobody's buying, nobody's selling, nobody's planting, nobody, everything is down right now. That should give you hope that things are going to go back to some semblance of regular before, well, maybe if he came, that would be even better. We elect for that. But basically, Jesus saying that there is going to be life as usual, and then there's going to be an interruption. That's what it's going to be like. Then he goes on to apply it. Notice in verse 40. He says, Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other will be left. Now, what Jesus is saying is this, is that for the church, for you and I, it's going to be a situation where it's life as usual, like it was in the days of Noah, and then there's going to be a sudden interruption, but it's not going to be a flood, it's going to be a flight. He is going to take one or two or however many belong to him and they are going to be removed from the planet now i know what you're thinking is that this sermon just went from feeling a whole lot like a bible study to feeling a whole lot like one of those youtube videos your friends have been sending you and telling you to watch in these days about the things that are coming i know it sounds absolutely crazy and if it wasn't the words of jesus recorded and repeated in the pages of scripture It's hard to believe even the things that are being said here. But Jesus is basically saying that people are going to be taken. Two in a bed, two in a field, two grinding at the mill, one taken, maybe both. But there's going to be people that will be suddenly gone and we don't know where they are. Now, the Bible, Christians, we refer to this event that Jesus is talking about as a thing called the rapture, where believers in Christ the bride of Christ, are snatched away and taken to where he is. And most people have heard of that before, this whole idea of the rapture. There are two passages, other passages in the New Testament, that describe in greater detail what will happen. I want to read them to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 51. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, Behold, I show you a mystery that we shall not all sleep. The word sleep means to die. We're not all, not everyone that lives is going to die. But we shall all be changed. For in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump or trumpet blast, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And we, that is those that are alive when this event takes place, we shall be changed, transfigured. For this corruptible, this fallen, finite, vulnerable body will be changed and it will put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. 
And so Paul says there's going to be a moment where there will be a trumpet blast and that we that believe in Jesus will be taken to be with him where he is. And in that moment, we will be changed. Our old bodies will be changed into new bodies. They can no longer die. They can no longer get sick. They no longer need sleep. They're glorified. They're brand new. That's what we're awaiting. Now, the other passage that explains this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And listen to what Paul the Apostle says, beginning in verse 15. He says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which have already died. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. But then we which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Listen, this rapture that the Bible is talking about, first by Jesus and then explained by Paul, this is the surprise interruption that will end what we call the church age. Now, I know it seems confusing because we're talking about the second coming of Christ. And back over in verse 30 of Matthew chapter 24, Jesus spoke to Israel and he said that you will see the Son of Man coming with power and with great glory. That's very clear. That's, that's visible. It's there. But this is different He's talking about people being snatched away, taken mysteriously. And it almost seems like they're two different things. Well, they are. You say, are there two second comings? No, there's one second coming, but it unfolds in a sequence of events. And just think about this. The first coming of Jesus Christ happened over a span of 33 years. It wasn't one moment. And so will it also be with the second coming of Christ. Now, it will begin with this surprise event that is called the rapture. Jesus will remove believers, those that have been forgiven of their sins because they put their faith in Jesus Christ and his cross, and he will remove them from the earth. You say, why is he going to do that? Here's why. Because that final seven-year period of time is a time where a holy God is going to declare war on a rebellious world. And just like any country will remove its ambassadors and emissaries from a foreign land before an invasion, a hostile invasion, so also God will remove his people from the nations that he is declaring war upon before he begins to pour out his reckoning and his judgment. And so the rapture will happen first. Then there will be seven years that we talked about last week, the final seven years of the hourglass that we read about in Daniel chapter 9, where God restores Israel, pours out judgment on nations, all crazy chaos goes on, the Antichrist rules and reigns. I mean, it's seven years of tight, action-packed things that go on. And then at the end of that seven-year period of time, then Jesus will physically return with the church, like it says back in verse 30, with power and with great glory. And that will be the culmination of what we call the second coming. So it's not two comings. It's one coming, but there's a sequence of events that happens in, uh, in the whole thing. Now, the rapture is distinct because he comes for the church. Now, it's this event that Jesus is talking about when he says that no man knows the day or the hour of when it will happen. What it does seem like in Scripture, and again, there is nobody that can claim that they have the perfect interpretation and that they know exactly how everything is going to unfold. The best we can do is study the Word, compare Scripture with Scripture, and look at what God says and come up with the best that we can. And we can do pretty good. And it seems like as we line up all of Scripture, this rapture, the taking away of the believers, happens before the seven-year period of judgment, tribulation, the last seven years of it. You say, well, how do we know that? 
I want to share two passages with you in order to do it. I could share 10, but I'm only going to share two because I believe it's enough. The first is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I want you to watch this. Listen with me. I'm going to read from verse 1. Paul says this, But of the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need that I write to you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. That's what we're talking about. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail or labor upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. There should be a readiness, an awareness. You should be prepared for it. For you are all children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that are drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And here's the hope of salvation. He tells us in verse 9. He says, for God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, that means that whether we live to the rapture or die before the rapture, that we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as you do. So in the context of the second coming, and are gathering together unto him, he says, listen, you guys know, you shouldn't be surprised, but know this, that you are not appointed to wrath because God already poured out the wrath that we deserved upon his son, Jesus. And so therefore, God will pull us out ahead of time. The other passage is 2 Thessalonians. So just, if you're in 1 Thessalonians 5, turn over 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And listen, here's the other reason why we believe that this rapture will happen prior to the final seven years of God's history. Verse 1, he says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. He's talking about the second coming and the rapture, our gathering together under him. He says that you be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled neither by spirit or word or by letter as though even it came from us as that the day of Christ is at hand or now present that you miss the rapture. He says, let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come except there be a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. That man of sin is the one world ruler, the powerful prince that will rule a one world government. And Paul says that that man, his identity will be known and revealed before the wrath of God is fully poured out. He goes on. He says, who opposes and exalts himself, this is this antichrist, above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things. Now watch verse 6, because this is critical. This is key. This is clutch. He says, and now you know what withholds, what holds this back, what holds the Antichrist back. What holds the day of judgment back? You know what withholds that he, that is the Antichrist, might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity, that is the conspiracy of world domination, not from men, but from the pit of hell itself, the mystery of iniquity is already at work. The new world order has been at work since Genesis chapter 11 when man built the Tower of Babel. It is not new. It just hasn't happened yet because there's something restraining it, keeping it from happening. And he says, the mystery is already at work. Only he who now restrains will restrain until he is taken out 
of the way. Now, the $10,000 question is, who is he that restrains? And most people that have studied this topic say that it is one of two things. Some say that it is the Holy Spirit who is the restrainer. And the others say it is the church that is the restrainer. I personally believe it is the church that is the restrainer, and here's why. Because it is impossible to remove the Holy Spirit from earth even after the rapture. Jesus said that during the tribulation, people would not need to prepare their defense ahead of time because it would be given to them by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God will be present on earth during those final seven years. Therefore, I don't believe that the restrainer is the Spirit. I do believe it is the church. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, he said to us, the church, he said, you are the salt of the earth. What does salt do? Salt preserves. It maintains freshness. He said, but if the salt loses its savor or its preservation quality, he says, then it, the earth, is therefore good for nothing but to be trodden under the foot of men. It's useless without the salt. It is the presence of the light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world, the city that's set on a hill. It is the presence of the church in the world that is restraining and keeping evil at bay. It's like I remember in earth science in high school, this is a crazy illustration, but I remember my earth science teacher took a little paper Dixie cup and he filled it with water and then he hit it with a map gas torch. And the cup would not burn up. It could not dissolve. I mean, he was hitting it with a torch. It was a paper cup, but it wouldn't burn because there was water inside the cup. It would not allow the paper cup to reach a temperature threshold to catch on fire. And it's the same idea. While the church is in the world, Satan can only go so far. That's why Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But once the church is removed, then... Paul goes on to say, he will restrain until he is taken out of the way. Then verse 8, and then shall that wicked one be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. In other words, the restrainer is removed before the Antichrist, the one world powerful ruler, is revealed. The church is gone. The church will never know who it is. You guys, you can speculate as long as you want. You will not know. You could say it's Bill Gates. You could say it's Kissinger. You could say, you could say it's a Rothschild. You could say whatever you want. You do not know, and you will not know because it won't be revealed until after the church has been revealed. Now, here's what you need to understand is that the event that marks the beginning of that final seven years is the treaty that's brokered by the Antichrist. So the church must be removed before that covenant is signed. Otherwise, everybody knows who the Antichrist is, and we would know the day and the hour because we can just count days. Daniel told us how many it would be. You could just make your, your birthday chain of your paper rings and every day tear one off, and when you get to the last one, you say, today's the day, <laughs> Jesus is coming. So the rapture most likely happens before the, or before the tribulation begins uh, as we look at it in the scripture. So what is the call to the church? Because Jesus isn't done talking to us. He said, one will be taken, the other is left. So what are we to do in light of this? What does this mean to us? Watch what Jesus goes on to say. Um, where are we? Back in Matthew chapter 24, verse 42. He says this. He says, watch, therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord does come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched, and he would not have allowed his house to be broken up. Therefore, be ready. For in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. Jesus says, in light of you not knowing what, when is going to happen, the rapture is going to happen, we don't know when, he says, watch and be ready. You say, well, what does it mean to watch? What does Jesus mean when he says watch? The word literally means, when you define it in the Bible, it means to be awake and to pay strict attention. Three things it means to watch that Jesus is going to unfold for us. Number one is to be awake. To watch means that you are awake. 
It means that you're not asleep to the things of God. It means that you are paying strict attention to what's going on in the world around you, in society around you, even in politics around you, that you're educated, that you're not just sleeping and saying, ah, carpe diem, whatever happens, live for today. No, that you're awake, you're watching what's going on right now to the best of your ability. It means to be awake. The second thing it means is to be aware. To be awake and to be aware. Listen to Jesus, verse 45. He goes on to say this. He says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord has made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. Be aware of what the Bible says is going to happen in light of what's going on around you. Know your signs. Watch your signs. What Jesus said is going to happen. Pay attention to the way that you look at and interpret the world that you're living in. That's what it means to be aware. This is God's world. It's all a part of God's plan. That means that politics belong to God. World events and world changes belong to God. All of the events that happen in the world belong to God. And we're to be aware of that. This past Sunday, somebody showed up here and brought a book to Pastor Bobby. And he quickly said, here, you can read it too. But it's a book. It's called God's Secretaries. And he said, this is about God's pastors. This book is for you guys. Pastors are God's secretaries. Now, I don't know if that's true, if that's the way God looks at pastors. If it is, then I'm honored by that. But here's what I do know, is that the politicians and the people that write policy and govern the direction and move the course of this world in its waves and movements, they are God's puppets. God is the one who's in control of how things are going. Man thinks that he is, but really it's God who's calling the shots behind the scenes. Over and over again, the scripture testifies of this. God spoke to King Nebuchadnezzar in the days of Daniel. He was the most powerful man in the world. He was a one world ruler. And God said to Nebuchadnezzar, he said that you will be humbled until you understand that the most high rules in the kingdoms of men and he sets over them whosoever he chooses, even the basest of men. Meaning God is in control of the events of world history. Therefore, for me to be aware of what's going on around me, I must look past politicians and talking heads on TV and conspiracy theories on YouTube, and I've got to get my eyes on what God says is going to happen and interpret world events according to what he said, not according to what man theorizes. And that's of the utmost important when it comes to this idea of watching. And Jesus said that you will be rewarded if you do that. Blessed is that man whom his Lord, when he comes, finds him so doing. It also means something else if we're doing life that way. It means that we can lay our head on our pillow at night and we can be at perfect rest. Because we're not looking at man worried about what man is going to do to us. We're looking at God who is moving men knowing that he's on our side. And that means that Psalm 46, verse 10, applies to you and I every single day, no matter what happens, where God said, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. It's not man, it's God. And if you understand that, then you can rest. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, God says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee that is not a, a promise with a time stamp god doesn't say that's true all the way up until the chaos of the last days then everybody's going to be all anxious and not be able to sleep and be up all night worrying about what's going to happen next no 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 get your eyes watching him and interpret the world in light of what he said, and the result of that is going to be peace for you on the inside. And understand this, that all the things that happen in the world and are happening in the world are setting the stage for what God is going to do in the final act. And when the stage is set, the drama will begin. So watch. 
be awake, be aware, and then finally, number three, according to Jesus, be wise. Watch verse 48. He says, but and if that evil servant say in his heart, my Lord delays his coming. And he shall begin to smite his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunken. Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looks not for him and in an hour that he is not aware and shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I have no idea what Jesus means by what he says in verse 51. But here's what I do understand that Jesus is saying. He's saying be wise about the way you conduct your life in light of the fact that you don't know when it is that he's going to return. He says that the person who is not watching, who is not awake, who is not aware, that person is going to, in a sense, spiritually fall asleep, and they're going to do two things. Number one is that they're going to begin to beat their fellow servants. Now, listen, I don't think that Jesus is saying that Christians are all of a sudden going to be given over to violence, and they're going to start beating people up. Some people... Maybe. Definitely not Pastor Bobby. He doesn't have that in him. He would never, never, ever fall that way. I don't think that's what he's saying. What Jesus is saying to us there, when he talks about the fellow servants, he's talking about other Christians. And listen, I want to tell you that one of the marks of a sleeping, unhealthy Christian, and this might sting a little bit, is when you criticize, come down on, slander another Christian or another ministry. That's an unhealthy thing to do. It's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Listen, if there is a person who is blood-bought, but they don't go to the same church as you, or maybe they don't believe in perfect line with you some of the peripheral doctrines or tenets or things of the faith, and you criticize them or turn people away from maybe receiving edification from them, then you're asleep This is what I've learned to do, is that when someone says to me that someone's not right on, it could be a church, a church group, it could be a a, a musician group, a worship team, a worship leader, a Christian songwriter, here's what I do. I go on a podcast search, and I'll type in interview with blank, with so-and-so, and and you can find them, because anybody who's got a published song or a thriving public ministry, they have been interviewed by someone, and it is public. You can listen to it. And the difference between an interview and a message is this, is that in a message, people can craft things and say things however they want. But in an interview, you're hearing what someone says firsthand right out as they're answering questions. And you do that right now. Maybe there is a, a ministry that you don't agree with. You just pick one, anyone, a pastor, a musician, pick one. And find a time where they are interviewed for an hour and listen as they answer questions about where they came from, how they came to know Christ, why they do what they do, what the strategy is, what the spirit is working in their life. And I can almost guarantee you that at the end of that, you will change your mind and say, you know what, I didn't understand. I jumped to conclusions. I listened to what other people said and didn't listen. It will change your mind. Don't criticize Christians. There is no worse of a tarnish and slander of Jesus' name in his church than for you to slander another Christian. It is a sign that you are asleep, that you're immature. You study the word, keep your eyes on Jesus, and worry about how you're doing with him. And if someone else is doing something a little bit different or in another way, or maybe you don't understand, you don't have to follow it, but leave it alone. Don't beat your fellow servants. The other thing, he says, is that they will begin to eat and to drink with the drunken. That is, that they will give in to intoxicating behaviors. It doesn't necessarily mean that they'll get drunk with alcohol, but you know what makes you intoxicated. It might be too much of this. You know what I'm doing, right? I'm swiping up. Swiping left, swiping right. It can be anything, but you know that it is intoxicating to you. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke uh, chapter 21, verse 34. He says this. He says, and take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfighting and drunkenness and the cares of this life so that that day comes upon you unawares. That you can become drunk in your heart by the cares of this life. Jesus said, for as a snare that day shall come upon all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. 
So watch and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Watch yourself, check yourself, and prepare yourself. That's what it means to watch. So you say, okay, that's what I'm to do internally, but what should I be doing externally? That's the question that we will answer next week as Jesus continues in chapter 25 his message to the church. He doesn't stop here. All of chapter 25 is also written to the church. Now I want to close by saying this to you, is that if you know Jesus tonight and you're listening to my voice, then these things, these truths, these promises, they stir up in you an amazing hope, an amazing comfort, and probably a degree of excitement to realize what awaits us, what is in store for us, and what we see shaping up in the world around us. It fills you with hope if you know Jesus. But if you don't know Jesus and you're listening to my voice tonight, then these things fill you with a sense of fear. And they should, because these things are coming to pass. In fact, it should scare you immensely to realize that these things are going to come to pass, and it is only those that belong to Christ that have the blood of the Son of God applied to the heart of their iniquity and have their sins forgiven and their souls saved because they've entered into new covenant with God through Jesus Christ. That if you haven't come to that place, listen, these things are going to happen. And you don't want to be here for that final seven years of man's history. You might think, well, that's going to be a party. That's going to be exciting. Or I just want to be a part of all that. No, you don't. Trust me. You think things are bad now. You wait until that time comes where, listen, it's not going to be a matter of trying to keep hospital beds open. There will be none. Because one plague will come. And before that plague is even settled, the next one will come. The system. Singular. And the system will shut down. It will not work. And what will you do then? You do not want to be here. This is what the Bible says is coming, and the Bible has a perfect track record. I want to share with you uh, something that my wife, she had a vision. And this is, just a, this is just a couple of days ago. And I know you take a vision worth a grain of salt, but I just want you to listen to it. It's very short. It's not going to take me long to read this. But uh, this was a vision the Lord gave her recently. She said, I woke this morning with a picture in my mind. I was looking up at a clear blue sky full of daylight. Very quickly, creeping in on every side was blackness. No light, no stars or moon. It crept up until there was only a small window of light like a circle at the top. Through that circle, it was clear as day, but round was blackness. Then the door was swallowed up and all was dark. Scripture is clear that night will come. Before I opened my heart up to the Lord, I just became curious about his word and began to read and listen. He met me, one who wasn't really looking for him. He met me and never has he left. He is real and the sure word of prophecy is all over the place because his heart is to save and that none would perish. And you need to know that that is the heart of God towards you tonight, even now. Is that, listen, is going to come a day when darkness Darkness that can be felt in the soul will enclose this world. The salt of the earth will be removed. But the heart of God is to seek and to save that which is lost. He loved you so much that he came into this world stepping down from glory. He put on human flesh. He allowed his creation to crucify, mock, scourge, and spit on him. He absorbed the full punishment for the sins of humanity in order to release the free gift of forgiveness of sins to those that would receive it from his hand. And the invitation is still there. God still pleads with you. He says, my arms are outstretched wide. All day long have I pled with you. And so tonight I beseech you, if you don't know Jesus Christ, the window is still there. The grace of God is still extended. And it's a matter of opening your heart up to God. It's confessing him as Lord professing faith in his existence, his death and resurrection, and then asking him to forgive you of your sins, to come inside your life, to seal you and to save you. And you then belong to him. And you know that you belong to him because his spirit comes and lives inside of you. And there's an automatic and immediate change that happens 
that begins a greater process of change that you watch your life begin to blossom and unfold as you know then the very purpose for your existence. But it begins with responding to him and saying yes to Jesus. The time is short, but the call is clear. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you tonight for your word and your truth. And we've never felt, Lord, more near and and more uh, awake and more sober to these things than we do in the times that we're going through right now. And I pray as a church, Lord, that we would be awake, that we would be aware, and that we would be wise. That you would shake us from any sleep or drowsiness that we might have. That you would help us, Lord, in the, in the places that we are overindulging in the things that intoxicate us and make us uh, spiritually drunk. And that you would help us, Lord, that we might be salt and light and that we might please you in the days that we have. And I also pray, Lord, tonight for any that don't know you personally, that even now they would feel, feel physically the knocking of your hand upon their heart. And that they would, by grace, open their heart to you. That you would extend a measure of faith. Listen, if you don't know Jesus personally and you want to ask him to be your Lord, I would just ask you right where you are right now to pray this prayer with me. Mouth the words as I pray them. Lord Jesus, I open my heart to you. I believe in your word, in your person, in your death, and in your resurrection. I know that I'm a sinner, that I don't deserve it, but I need you to save me. I know I can't save myself. Please forgive me of my sins. Please save me. I open my heart to you. Please come inside and fill me with you and help me to live for you, to know your voice, to know your will, to understand your truth and your ways that I might be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, would you do me a favor? If you just prayed that prayer with me, if you're watching on Facebook or on YouTube or someplace you could leave a comment, would you just say it in the comments just so that we can know, so that we can pray for you? so that we can rejoice with you for what God is doing in your life right now. For the rest of you, next week, we're going to talk about what do we do in light of this. It's an amazing chapter, Matthew chapter 25. Read ahead, but God bless you guys. I hope you have a great, great night. We love you in the name of the Lord, and we'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.